on Sunday, August 14th, 2016, just over a year ago, I stood here and I said to you, would you take your Bibles and open them to the Gospel of Mark? And we began a journey through Mark's account of the life, the words, and the works of Jesus Christ. And as we have reminded ourselves throughout this series, we are following the servant king in order that Jesus' life would redefine our lives. And y'all, it's, it's going to be a rather heavy day in some, in some ways. Uh, we're not done with Mark yet. We'll finish next week. I'll talk about that in a few moments. But um, we, we've, we've spent over 50 weeks following the servant king. And we have got to stop and ask ourselves this question. If our intention was that our lives would re- be redefined by his, have they? In what ways have they been redefined? Um, How is it that on August 14, 2016, we began this series and now 50 messages weekends later, having followed Jesus, and they stand here, are you any different? Am I? You see, are, are we any different? And it's a sobering question because the Bible tells us that you and I are accountable for the truth that we receive. It's not just we're you know, accountable for our life and how we live it, but, but we are actually stewards, the Bible tells us, of truth. And so when we, when we hear the truth, and you keep hearing truth, I've said this to you many times before, that you know, it, it can be a dangerous place to be in church because you, you're getting truth, but if it's not changing you, if you're not receiving it, if you're not trusting it, you see that, then we're accountable for those things. And uh, I want to I help us answer this question. Having walked with Jesus for you know, over a year now, um, how, how have I been changed in terms of how I think, how I feel, what's going on in my heart, my emotional world, and what I choose? You see, mind, heart, and will. What, in, in, in what ways has the Word of God with the Spirit of God transformed me? This is not, let's have a trivia test on Jesus This is how has my heart been changed. So my aim is to help us answer that question. And it's a preparatory message because at the end of this message, I'm going to ask you to do something very practical, but it's going to prepare us for next week. So next week I'll be here and we will be ending our study in Mark. But the focus will change. The focus will not be on the pulpit. It will be on the pew. Well, Lord, what do you mean by that? Well, when you walk in the room next week, you'll feel the difference in the room. But it'll also be this. You will have the opportunity to talk to one another about how God has transformed us through this study. And I'll say this at the very end. It is absolutely essential that we do this. For this is how the body of Christ grows and builds itself up. Okay, we're going to dive in. How do you take 16 chapters... almost 50 weeks and put it in 28 minutes. Well, you don't, so I'm going to go long. So I'm going to warn you that I've already done this twice, so I've tried. Um, Mark uh, breaks his book out into three very distinct sections. I'm going to go very low-tech today, uh, but uh, you're going to follow along. I'll have you follow along with me. I hope it's helpful. Uh, He does this. In chapters 1 through 8, he says, uh, who is Jesus? So the question there is who. In chapter 8 through 10, it is what? 
What does it mean that Jesus is Messiah? And then chapters 11 through 16, the word is how. Who, what, and how. And, and this is how low-tech I'm going for you today. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the dry erase board. Um, but there's the outline. And if you make notes, you might note that we're going to fill these boxes in as we walk through. Okay? These are the three sections. And there's something I want to say about all three sections as we move through this. I've spent the week in my mind just trying to go, gosh, how in the world do we, do we cover this? And how do I cover this in a way, y'all, that at some level you remember it? You know, I mean... Well, one thing is I'm going to simplify it, and we're going to put some words on this board that I hope help. But the other, other way is, is, is something that hit me in the middle of the week. I'm, I'm one of those people that when I study, I like to listen to music. I know some people like silence. I've got to have, I like music playing in the background. I've always been that, especially since college, I've just always been that way. Now, I have to listen to music that I know, I'm familiar with. So I can't be listening to new music. I'm 57, and so you know this is coming. I'm, so it's kind of hippie radio music. You know, that's, I'm listening to the 70s, you know, Dan Fogelberg, James Taylor, you know, Jackson Brown, blah, blah, blah. So I got to have that music playing in the background. And um, I thought, okay, here's these three stages of Mark's gospel. Is there, what, what comes, and, and this song came to my mind. It's a 1970 release by Stevie Wonder. And um, he, he, he really, it, it really gives us three words that I think could be memorable for you, because I can't get the song out of my head now. I'm going to play Name That Tune with you. I'm not going to sing it, but you tell me if you know. Now, oh, oh, I, think, I think you'll know it unless you're just really young in the room, okay? Here's the lyrics. Like a fool, I went and stayed too long. You got to yell it out if you know. Now I'm wondering if your love's still strong. Ooh, baby, here I am. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. You got that? Everybody, everybody, who knows that? Who kn- Most of us know this. You know, signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. And so when you think of Mark, now you're going to be singing that song all week. You know, if you know that. And we're going to put this on our chart. We're going to put under who, I'm going to put signed. And under what, I'm going to put sealed. And under how, I'm going to put delivered. And this is going to be our framework for going through the gospel of Mark. Signed, sealed, delivered. I want you to take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. We're under this heading, verses 1 through 8. Who? And it's this phrase, it's this word, signed. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Let's start at the beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That sentence is loaded, and I want to take it apart in this way. Jesus, his given name. Jesus is the Greek for the Old Testament name, Joshua. Do you know what Joshua means in Hebrew? Anybody know? Yahweh saves. So Jesus' name is Yahweh saves. Christ is, uh, is, is the the. the the Messiah, it's the Greek word for the Old Testament anointed one. We call him Christ. So this is his title. Well, what's, who's the anointed one? The anointed one is who, for thousands of years, and even today, the Jews are waiting for him. Now, we believe it's Jesus, you know, a, a Jew does not. That the anointed one is Messiah. He's the one who's going to save us, rescue us, set everything right. Jesus Christ. Then it says, the Son of God. The is not in the original Greek. So the first sentence, it says this. Jesus Christ, Son of God. And the reason it says that, it puts the emphasis 
on the essence of Jesus. Son of God means this Jesus Christ is, is of the same essence as God. That means he's God. I mean, this first sentence says everything we need to know. He's, he's man, fully man, and he's fully God. I mean, we get this right out of the first sentence. And we're going to see as we get through the book and at the end, only, uh, fully, only fully man and fully God can satisfy the penalty that we deserve because of our sin. Okay, that's a simple way to say it. Now, Mark says this right out of the chute. So there's no secrets in Mark. There's no sense of, hey, you need to read this and uncover the secret of the secret Jesus. We know who this book's about. The, the, the people we're reading about in the stories, they do not. Now, the first eight chapters, I'm calling it signed because, think of these first eight chapters, Jesus does sign after sign after sign after sign, a sign, a wonder, a miracle to validate who he is. You remember this? You got to go back you got to go back some time over a year ago, but what did Jesus do as you read these first chapters? I mean, he, he healed the sick, he opened the eyes of the blind, he opened the ears of the deaf, he raised the dead, he calmed the storms, he exercised demons. You remember this? This is chapters 1 through 8. Signs. And if I put a word under this section, I'm going to add a word here for us. That would, that would kind of bring it, you know, again, I'm going for one word that you can hang on to. What we see is this whole set first section is about Jesus's authority. I'm putting the word authority here. It's all about Jesus's authority. How authoritative is Jesus? What do chapters 1 through 8 show us? I mean, he's authoritative over nature. He is authoritative over demons. He's authoritative over disease. Oh my, he is authoritative over death. What, if, what else is left? What's left out? Nothing. Jesus is authoritative. The interesting thing about chapters 1 through 8 is people have different responses to his authority, don't they? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Now turn in chapter four to chapter 4, verse 30. 4 verse 35. I'm going to touch a few verses as we go through here, not many for sake of time. We were here back in November of 2016. We took a boat ride with the disciples. First thing we needed to note then, and I'll remind you now, is that the sea is not just a body of water for the Hebrew, for the Jewish mind. The sea, storm at sea in particular, represents something far darker. New Testament scholar William Lane says it this way, the sea is understood to the Hebrew people as a manifestation of the realm of death. It is demonic in its behavior. N.T. Wright, another scholar, says it this way, the dark power of evil threatening to destroy God's good creation, God's people, and God's purposes. When you read your Bible, note that to the, for, for the Jewish Hebrew mind, they, they viewed the sea as, as the darkness, as there was there was evil there, and, and you'll see it, how the sea is used metaphorically all the way through redemptive history. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think in your mind 
of a stormy sea, metaphorically, in your world right now. It could be financial, relational, um, physical, emotional. What, 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 what stormy sea is, is threatening to sink you, undo you, take you down right now? Just think about it in your mind's eye. I'm, I'm going to ask you to grab one. I've got five probably at least, but grab one and just get that in your head, okay? Your life circumstance, something going on in your world right now. As N.T. Wright said, that's threatening to destroy. Now, with that in your mind, I want you to follow along as we reread this story in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Y'all, he calmed the wind and the sea like he was talking to a toddler. And it calmed. How authoritative is Jesus? How authoritative is he over your storm that's in your head right now, that's in your life? Now here's what I want you to not miss. The, the lesson, and this is verified all the way throughout Mark, but I just chose this one, is not that Jesus calms every storm in your life. That's not the point of the story. He doesn't. Can I say to you, sometimes the boat sinks and people die and cancer wins and the marriage doesn't make it and the friendship is broken and can't be restored and you have to declare bankruptcy. This is, you understand, this is life in this room. He doesn't calm every storm. To say, to say he calms every storm, honestly, is to deny reality. It's to deny our brokenness and our brokenness with each other in this broken world. It's also to deny the clear reality of Scripture that shows everything doesn't get fixed this side of heaven. What this event is most clear about is that Jesus actually takes us into storms. Don't miss that part of the story. The disciples are in the... Why are the disciples in this storm? Because Jesus said, get in the boat, let's go to the other side. In other words, this is a storm of obedience. What? Wait, wait, wait. I thought if I'm going to do what Jesus said, I'm not going to have any storm. No, this is a storm of obedience. But the life of faith, when you choose to walk by faith with Christ, he will literally take you into storms. Because the lesson of the text is Jesus is authoritative and your faith matters. You notice verse 40? He said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So it's not just, a, it's not just a, he's, a, he's authoritative, but what about your faith in light of his authority? You know, I don't know about you, but my experience with storms in my own life 
goes something like a trip that we had uh, several years back. We were on a trip, and we were driving back from Birmingham, and um, uh, this is when Lisa's mom was still alive, and we were, we were uh, in, in, in our Sequoia, and we had it, I'm pretty sure we had it loaded to the gills because I was ready to get this thing unloaded, and we're taking a lot of stuff from Lisa's mom and bringing it here. Um, you know, prior to her, her passing away. I, I think we're making, we're, I know we're coming up 65, and I don't know if this is a guy thing. I think it's a woman thing as well, you know, by all means. But, you know, when, I, when we're gone somewhere, and then you make that turn to go home, how, how bad do you want to get, you know, I'm just one of those, that I want to get home, you know. So we're coming home, familiar drive, and uh, I'm kind of watching the weather. And so here's, I, I, happened to, I had these on my phone. This is probably two or three years ago, but I want to show you a picture on my phone. I had, I've had a, my radar, you know, and I pulled my radar up. And here's what it looked like, you know, as we're headed home. You, you know what the blue dot is, right? What's the blue dot? That's us, right? What's the other stuff? Storms, right? So this is one of those, you know, these sweeping band of storms coming in. And in my mind, I'm thinking... I, I want to get home, and I want to get this stuff unloaded before we're just drenched. And you see how close we are? We're just south of 840. I mean, we're not that far from home. And so I did take another picture to kind of tell on myself, but this is how we were getting there. I kind of put the floor down, and I'm like, I'm going, man. And so, you know, we're hitting 100 on certain downhills to try and get home. But, but the last picture shows you when we pulled into our driveway, where is the blue dot? In the storm. Now, that's funny, but it's also to make a point. You cannot outrun God's storms for your life. You can drive like crazy. You can run. You can deny it. But no, in His sovereignty for His children, He will bring and take us into the storms themselves. Faith... Here's where the faith part comes in. Faith chooses in the midst of a storm to not try and outrun it, but to honestly, in the midst of it, invite Jesus into it and know Jesus is with me in this storm. And he's doing something in this storm uniquely designed for me to deepen my faith. To deepen my faith that he's going to calm the storm? Well, not exactly. To deepen my faith that he's in control even if the storm takes my life. Even if the storm doesn't calm the way I want to. See, that, that's the faith that God is developing and growing in his children. And it becomes a faith, you all, that can withstand storms which are coming and will be in your world, that to withstand them and actually rest in them actually have peace in them because we know in light of who Jesus is and what he's done, there is coming a day, and we don't know when it is, but it is sure and certain when storms will be no more. And in the midst of one, you see, we can hold to that by faith. How do we develop that faith? By the storms God brings into our lives. So Mark chapters 1 through 8, it's who, it's sealed or signed, and it's authority. And over and over and over and over and over again, he gives these signs that he is who he says he is. How about sealed? Sealed. Now, why would I choose that word? Well, because that's what Stevie wrote. But 
It also, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll fit this. When you seal an envelope, um, can you unseal it? Seriously, I mean, you can tear it apart, but can you unseal the seal? You can't. It's irreversible when that envelope is sealed. And so I think this fits here in this sense. When we get to what does it mean for Jesus to be Messiah, you all, the disciples had so much trouble with this, as we do, because Jesus said, you know, I'm going to suffer and die. And they did, that's not what we want in a Messiah, Lord. And, and also, when he talk, 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 started talking about his kingdom, he said, you know, my kingdom's this. And they're going, wait, wait, wait I, that's not what I want in a kingdom. But the, the way that Jesus is Messiah is sealed. It's irreversible. From the moment of his birth, his cross was on him, you see. In fact, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, but we've got to go further. Ephesians 1 says it was sealed in eternity past. Before there ever was, it goes way back. It's sealed. This is how God is going to redeem humanity. You remember when Peter makes his confession? This is in the middle now. You are the Christ. Yes. And then Jesus says, now we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die and be resurrected. What did Peter hear? I'm going to suffer and die. (laughs) He didn't get the resurrected part. And Jesus is pulled aside by Peter. And you remember this? Peter says, Jesus, that's not going to happen. I mean, you're Messiah. This is what Messiah does. Jesus, you know, you're, you're a king. And this is what your kingdom's going to be like. And Jesus had some very harsh words, didn't he? It couldn't be harder. Get behind me. Who? You know, this is out of the pit. And then he goes on to say, Peter, you're not thinking about the things of God, you are thinking about the things of man. And the things of God and the things of man, you all, are diametrically opposed. And so what he does in this whole section, and Mark shows us this, and I'm going to put this word in this one now under sealed, I'm going to write the word misconceptions, misconceptions. Conceptions. Lord, what do you mean misconceptions? Well, Mark is showing us the misconceptions that the disciples have about Messiah and kingdom of God. You know, they, Jesus looks at them and says, you guys, you guys think that life is found in fulfilling your bucket list. And Jesus says to them, your bucket has a hole. There's, there, you'll never be satisfied that way. Jesus says in chapter 8, he says, you... you if you want to live, die. You know, literally, you know, if someone said that, if you want to live, die, you'd go, that's crazy. And then he says, if you want to be, if you want to be first, go to the back of the line. This guy, he's, he's making, you know, Jesus lost his mind. Chapter 9, they're struggling with greatness. <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost humorous, but we do the same thing. And Jesus says, if you want to be great, if you want to be great, then become the servant of all, key verse in the whole book, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you see how the things of God and the things of man are like, whoop, they don't even get close to each other? And their misconceptions trip them up. And I'll say this. Our misconceptions of Messiah, kingdom of God, the Christian life have shipwrecked 
many a faith, including my own. Early in my faith, and even, even, even now, this still creeps up on me. I've got in my mind a certain way that I think God should work. Or God shouldn't allow that. Or I can't see. And listen, when our, when our picture of what the Christian life is and, and, and God's you know, understanding what it is collide, what do we do in our fallenness? What do I do? I, I tend to go with mine in my fallenness, rather than to recognize that, no, mine is not true. I've got a misconception, and here is the truth about the kingdom, about faith, about the Christian life. When Jesus says, if you want to live, die. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to be Great, serve people. I'm going to tell you something. That so goes against our grain. We can't let those things go. How do, most, how do most of us live our lives? Honestly, even having come to faith, we still are kind of striving. We're still thinking, you know, I, you know being served is really the power move of all things. We can't let go. I was watching, a, 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 it was a National Geographic or something show. This is many years ago. I love watching these things. You know, my kids walk in and say, man, why are you watching this show about chimpanzees? I don't know. I like them. I like, you know. Wild China or something, you know, I'm watching these things. But in this one, and, and, and you've probably seen this, I was fascinated by the way that these scientists were capturing these monkeys because they're going to tag them and research them and stuff. And so these monkeys are in a tree, and there's this opening, you know, this open area right here. And what the scientists would do is they would take a gourd, and they would put a hole in the gourd. You know, let's just say they put a hole about this big in the gourd. Or, a, or like a coconut, something, something hard in that way. And they would go to the middle of this field, and the trees are right there, and the monkeys are watching. You know, absolutely curious. And they tie that thing to a stake, and then they take out these three shiny metallic or stones that, that reflected light. And, you know, so you know, they reflect, and, they, and they actually do it like this because the monkeys see these things. You know, they're so curious. And then they take these three stones, and they put it inside the gourd. And then they go away. And then you know where this goes. The monkeys come, and they go up to the gourd, and they see the stones, and they reach into the gourd, and they grab them. And with their hand in a fist, they can't get out of the gourd. And they start beating the gourd on the thing like this, and they start running and pulling and pulling. And pulling. It's so funny to watch them, you know. And the scientists just walk up, put a bag over their head, get the stones out of their hand, and they capture a dozen of them. Now... You and I, when it comes to dying to live or being last or serving, you know, our flesh is this. No, I want people to serve me. I've got to hold on to my life to live. And I really want to be in the front of the line. And we grab those things, y'all. And then we act like I'm really living when the truth is we are bound and we are stuck and we can't get the gourd off of our hand. And the gospel is not, I'm going to let this gourd go and go to Jesus. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is, I cannot get this gourd off my hand. And it's taking your hand, gourd and all, and bringing all of it to Jesus and saying, I cannot let go. I am powerless to this. 
unless you do a work in my life. And trusting Christ, you see, only then can we even let go of those things and experience his freedom. We don't clean up our life and go to Jesus. We bring that to Jesus. That's the gospel. Anything less is a misconception. Sign, this is how, sign sealed, this has been sealed from eternity past. This is the gospel, the Savior dies on our behalf. Sign sealed, the last one's delivered. Sign sealed, delivered. Now, why would I choose delivered? Well, when you look at 931, 1033, every time Jesus talks about going to Jerusalem, he says, I will be delivered. Literally uses the word, and it's a Greek word that means I'll be betrayed, I will be handed over. And indeed, he was handed over. He was not handed over because Satan won. He was not handed over because the religious leaders were so powerful. Y'all, he was handed over by his father. Write Isaiah 53 down. Isaiah 53. For Isaiah 53 tells us that how Jesus becomes Messiah will be through his suffering and his death on our behalf. And it pleased the Father to crush the Son. Now, the word I want to put over here under delivered, it's a theological word. It's the word atonement. Atonement. Well, what does atonement mean? Atonement means satisfaction. Atonement means the satisfaction that brings two parties that were separated back together. Atonement means to reconcile and make payment for, make restitution amends such that two separate parties can come back together. This is, this is Jesus' work on our behalf is the work of atonement, paying the price for our sin, paying our debt so that we can be back in relationship with God the Father. Do you remember when Jesus walked into the temple and he cleansed it? Remember when we, when we studied that, we said, look, he didn't just cleanse it, he destroyed it. What do you mean he destroyed it? Well, he came in and he said, you know, I'm going to destroy this temple and in three days raise it again. What temple was he talking about? Tell me. His body. See, the temple itself and all that it represented, killing an animal, you know, the blood covers them for the, you know, the, the day of atonement when the priest went in the Holy of Holies and the blood was shed and, and their sins were covered for a year. They weren't forgiven. They weren't removed. No, no, no. This is just the blood of a goat or a bull. I can't remove a man's sin against a holy God. It was all pointing, pointing, pointing to the one true temple, Jesus himself, the perfect Lamb of God, who shed his blood, gave his life, and ended the sacrificial system. For he's the one final whole God-man sacrifice. He drank the cup of wrath till it was drained. There was no wrath of God left. For Jesus satisfied the wrath of God, was buried and rose again. See, he destroyed the temple. The way to be with God and in relationship with God now is not the temple. It is faith in the temple, the person, the work, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ atonement. 
Signed, sealed, delivered, last thing. I'm going to go through this one more time really quickly. I want you to think about this, and this will put us in our practical space. Chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus is baptized, and the heavens spoke, and we heard, I'm going to write here, the voice of God. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 8 through 10, Mount of Transfiguration. We hear the voice of God the Father in heaven say, This is my son. Listen to him. That's what he says. Not, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That's the Mount of Transfiguration. Voice of God, voice of God. When we get to chapter 15, 16, do you know, while Jesus heard the voice of his Father in, in, in the beginning, in the middle, when he was at his hour of deepest need, in need of, quite frankly, the voice of his Father, the heavens were silent. Don't miss that. God, need, God, say something to your son. Do you, do you remember this? The heavens are silent. Why are the heavens silent? Because Jesus has become sin. When Jesus cried, Father, what, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you become sin and Father turned his face away in a way that doesn't break the Trinity, but in a way we can hardly comprehend and grasp, the Father had to turn his face away from the Son. There was no voice of the Father. There was no voice of God to Jesus in this, but there was, interestingly, there was the voice of man. Chapter 15, verse 39, the centurion cries out when he sees Jesus breathe his last, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, we don't know if this centurion became a Christian, a Christ follower. What we know is they hated the centurions. The centurion hadn't spent three years with Jesus, but what he said was true. And I don't want you to miss that Mark, the author that he is, has brought us full circle as a good author will. Jesus, chapter 1, verse 1, the Son of God. Back here in chapter 15, back into the book. You are the Son of God. He's brought us full circle. Now, whose voice is missing here? Whose voice is missing? Whose voices are missing? That would be saying, Jesus, you're the Son of God. Who? Say, somebody say out loud or take a guess. The disciples. So the question becomes this. Mark ends his gospel with the word afraid. Rob covered it last week. I want us to come back to this point of, of, of uh, the voice of the disciples is missing. Here's the question Mark asks of you and I. Where's your voice? You see, that's, he stops right there. Now the question is not, okay, the where, why weren't the disciples saying something? No, 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 stop there. It now becomes ours. Where is your voice? What, what are you saying about Jesus? We just walked with him for 50 weeks almost. So what do you say about Jesus? Y'all, this is the so what. This is the application. This is 
where we come to at the back end of this book. And I'm going to have you do something now. If you've got a piece of paper or if you can write this on your phone, I want you to write three phrases. Because next week, I'm going to ask some of you, if you will, to actually read these phrases. Notice the first one, and this is all under the heading of how following the servant king um, redefines my life being redefined by following the servant king. Three statements. I'll hit these quickly. Jesus, you are blank to me. See, this gets to this. This gets to our mind. It matters what we think. So in light of what you know now, could you say something and say, Jesus, you are blank to me. And secondly, it gets to the heart. My heart is now blank. And what I'm getting at there is, where is your heart? Where, where are you experiencing in your body, in your, in, in your emotions as we've walked with Jesus? Jesus, you are blank. And you can leave the to me off and just say, you are this as a declarative statement. You can then say, my heart is now. Where is your heart? And the last statement is, by your spirit, I choose to. In other words, what will you do because the gospel is changing your heart? See how we've moved through this? It, it, it's us having been with Mark and having been with Jesus for some 50, almost 50 weeks. We're going to stand here and go, well, Jesus, you are. You know, Jesus, my heart is changed in these ways. Mind, heart, will. I choose to live this way in light of what I know and what I've experienced of you, Jesus. This is how God transforms us, you all. Uh, this is not self-help. and we go, This is the work of the Spirit in our lives, in our mind, our heart, and our will to change us. And next week, the focus will be on you, and we will be in this room, and I will ask some of you, and everyone won't do this, don't have to, I will ask some of you to actually stand up and, and read a statement. Jesus, you are. Jesus, my heart is. Jesus, I, and we're just going to share that with one another. And you go, well, you know, why would we do that? Because when Ephesians says the, the, the church is the body, when every part is connected to the other parts, doing their parts, the body is built up. And we don't want to leave Mark without recognizing that we build each other up when we say these things. There's someone that's sitting next to you that, that may need to hear you say that and proclaim that about Jesus. Is everybody with me? That's what we're going to do next week. And we'll do some other things as well. That's why I called this preparatory. Now, this last thing I'm going to do and let you go. We'll really make some of you uncomfortable. But, but you know, the church is it's not supposed to be comfortable as much as it is safe. If you are willing to publicly share those three statements with your church family next week, okay, if you're willing, I'm not even saying that when, I, when, when you do this, you're going to do it. But if you just go, you know, I'm willing to do that. I want you to think about this. I'm not asking you, hey, would you be willing to go to your classroom at school and ask the teacher if you can stand up? I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not asking you to go to your workplace. I'm asking you in your church family to proclaim to one another, this is who Jesus is and how he's changed my life. If you're, if you're, just, if you're willing to do it, I'm going to ask you to stand, literally. Now, now here, before you stand, let me say this. I don't expect everyone in the room to stand. I've done this twice, three times now. Uh, everyone doesn't stand. Your step of faith may be to stay seated. Some of us are introverts, and you're kind of going, man, I don't get into that thing. I don't. It's okay. It's totally okay. But I just want, if you, if you go, I'm willing and I want to stand, I'm going to ask you to stand right now.
then I'm going to pray for us. Just stand right now. I don't expect everyone to stand. Faith for you may be to stay seated. You may go, Lord, I'm not sure what you're asking, so I'm going to stay seated. It's okay. But if you kind of go, I'm, I'm willing to, I'd be willing to say, Jesus, you are, this is what you're doing in my life. Just stand. And then I'm going to pray over us. Father, we come and we're at the back end of this this story of the life of Christ and we want to be a people redefined by the life of Jesus. Whether standing or, or sitting, that's what we want. And it's only because your spirit would be at work in us that that would happen within us and through us. So grant us all eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to respond in faith to what you've shown us of your Son, the Son of God, Jesus, the Christ, the Anointed One, who gave his life for us and who lives to live his life through us by your Spirit. This we ask in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Amen and God bless.